chapter 5. James chapter 5. We're going to be, just hold your finger there because we're going to get there towards the end of the sermon. We'll be in a few other places, but uh, we'll end up in James chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a blue one somewhere in the seats around you. Um, and uh, if you get lucky, there's a large print one. Uh, some of them are large print, but uh, if you don't own a Bible, um, we'd love for you to take one of those, the nice ones with you. If you don't own a Bible, and that can be your Bible, take it with you. Uh, if you would like to give some Bibles away, there are some paperback ones that we have out in the Resource Center that you can take uh, and give those away as well. We think God's Word is active, it's powerful, uh, and it is the way that God has decided to communicate with us. So uh, we want you to have that. Um, so we're in week three of this four-week series called The Fourfold Gospel. Did not come up with that name. Uh, that is something that is uh, distinct in our Alliance family, The Fourfold Gospel. Uh, illustrated here with this image that you see up on the screens. And today we're going to talk about healing, uh, how and why Jesus heals. Uh, we believe that Jesus is our healer. Uh, and so before we get into that, though, I just want to catch us up so that we're all sort of on the same page in this week three. Um, in week one, we talked about what it means for Jesus to be our Savior. That's represented in this image by that cross. Uh, and so we said that there are sort of two big words used to describe uh, what happens when Jesus saves us? The first word is justification, which is when God declares us righteous or declares us perfect or justified. And so the idea uh, is of a judge in the courtroom banging the gavel, declaring you righteous, even though you know you're guilty. Uh, but he has declared you righteous because someone has come and paid the debt that you owed. Uh, and so it's the, his declaration of you as righteous that actually makes you righteous because of the work of Jesus uh, and so it's not anything that you've done. That's a big emphasis from Jesus, our Savior. Salvation is all God's work. Uh, happens in an instant um, upon faith, and, and you didn't do anything to earn it except bring the sin to the table that made it necessary. Uh, we see this idea in 2 Corinthians 5. For our sake, he, meaning God the Father, made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of of God. That's 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. So when we go from not believing in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus to believing, Jesus takes on himself our punishment, uh, or his having done that becomes efficient for us. And so God's response to our sin uh, is to allow Jesus to absorb the wrath that we deserved, and then he gives us his righteousness so that we now uh, are not only just saved, but we are in right standing with God, which leads us to sort of the second side of that coin of salvation, which is adoption into God's family. You are not just saved and then tolerated. No, you are saved and brought into God's family with the full legal rights of his children. Literally, that's what the Bible says. You are given the right, the legal standing before God to become his children. Here's how John 1 verse 12 says it. But to all who did receive him, right? Trust in him by faith. That's what that means. Who believed in his name, he gave the right, that's legal standing, to become children of God. So this is the best news that any of you have ever heard. Uh, Jesus not only saved you from the justice that you deserved, but he has saved you into a family. So if you don't get anything from the doctrine of salvation, I want you to get this. It's not... I'm not as concerned with you thinking about what God has saved you from, although that's so important, but I'm more concerned with what God has saved you into. God has saved you into his family. 
So that means you're not just sitting on the bench, right? You're in the game. He has made you part of the family. You have a huge extended family that contains every tribe and tongue and nation. You are now God's child. You have access to him in a way that you did not have before you believed. And so this is such good news. God does not have to feel distant to you because he is not distant. Come to Jesus, you get God. In your salvation through Jesus, you are now adopted into the family of God and nobody can take your adoption from you. Then last week, so that was week one, then week two, last week we talked about what it means for God as our good father to want more for us than to just be declared holy, but he actually wants us to be holy. That he wants more for us than just our position. He wants us to actually be the thing that he declares us to be. He wants for us to be actually holy and whole. Many, maybe you think holy means like, you know, just like religiously checking all the boxes, but that's not what it means. Holy means like God. God is holy. He's set apart. He's different from us. And he wants you to be like that. He wants you to be a person of love, joy, and peace, holy and whole. And so he's looking to walk with us as he empowers us by his spirit through the work of Jesus so that we can become whole and holy people. This is called sanctification. This is Jesus, our sanctifier, represented by that second image there called the laver, which is like a a wash basin where God is uh, bringing us along. And so Colossians, we saw in Colossians 3 that it tells us to set our minds on the things that are above. So this is the idea of purposely reorienting your life, right, with intention, around Jesus and the things of God. This is where things like spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices come into play. Uh, This would include things like, obviously, prayer and Bible reading, right? But I also think it includes doing things that you know help you to grow in your love for Jesus. What are the things, Christian, that when you participate in them, you just, like, think Jesus is more awesome? Like, for me, it's, it's like a really good concert. Right, where it's just like, man, this music is so beautiful and good, and I just get caught up in it, and it just makes me be like, man, God, you're so, like, why did you give us good music? It's so good, right? And so doing things like that are important to grow in your love for Jesus. So what are those things in your life that when you do them, you just feel like Jesus is more awesome? Do those things. I shared, uh, like I said, that it's concerts for me, but it could be something different for you. But we also said that part of sanctification, which comes along with bringing those things to life in you that God wants to bring to life, is also, uh, if you remember the big Puritan word mortification, putting to death the sin in your life that is uh, stopping you from becoming what Jesus is calling you to be. So then another question is, are there patterns of sin or areas of sin in your life that need to die? Right? Are there sins going on in your life that you are keeping as a pet? Maybe it's a little secret sin, you participate in it, but it's growing and it's going to destroy you. And if God is merciful, he will expose you so that you won't continue to walk in that. This is part of God's way of transforming us and conforming us into the image of his son, Jesus. Now, lastly, we pulled two principles that I think are present in Colossians chapter 3 from last week. And here's the two principles we said that sort of give us the framework for where sanctification grows. The first is community. You need to be in the community of faith to grow in your sanctification. God has not adopted you and then made you an only child. You are adopted into a family. 
with a lot of brothers and sisters, and that means that we're now in an environment that's going to force us to have to learn how to forgive, right? Because we bother each other, don't we? Yeah, we offend each other. And so we have to practice the things that God calls us to in order to become like Jesus. Do you see his goodness to you in that? Hey, I want you to become like my son Jesus, able to forgive, able to bear with. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put you in a situation where you're going to have to do that. That's God's mercy and goodness to us. It's a hard one for us because we, we live in a culture that's constantly telling us that comfort and pleasure in relationships, and that can be platonic, romantic, whatever relationships you're thinking of, that comfort and pleasure in your relationships is a high, maybe the highest value, right? So if, if a person and I get in an argument, I'm going to ghost that person. I'm, not gonna, I'm just going to not talk to them anymore. Just cut them off. I don't need them in my life. I'm getting rid of everybody, right? That's what our culture tells us to do. As soon as a relationship gets hard, we push away. I don't need that in my life. And so we totally miss the fact that actually God is blessing us by putting us with other people who are just as dysfunctional as we are, who have insecurities like we do, and who say things that hurt our feelings like we say things that hurt other people's feelings without even knowing it. And so we're forced, by God's grace, to learn to become more like Jesus. This is sanctification. And so the church is the, is the place where we say to one another, oh, you too? Oh, you think your sins are besetting to you and really dark to you? Well, man, I'm, I've got the same stuff going on. Let's walk together and, and let Jesus heal us of these things. And so the church is the perfect place to learn how to forgive, how to bear with each other, and do everything in love even when we don't want to. And so God is being good to us by that. He's giving us the perfect environment as the community of faith in the church to grow into the image of Jesus and this is why it is, and we'll get to this in a few weeks, it is so important for us to have leaders in the church who are walking this same walk so that we don't create an environment where leaders are, you know, the, the FBI of the church looking at everybody's sins. That's not what we're here to do. We're here to walk with one another as we pursue Jesus and learn uh, to, to be all that he has called us to be. And so Jesus has given us his spirit to fill us and empower us along the way. So community, we need community in order to be sanctified. But the second principle we pointed out from the text in Colossians is the idea of honesty between us, right? The, the, the verse that we read says, don't lie to one another. And what I wanted to emphasize was let's not play the I'm fine game with one another in the church, right? How you doing? I'm fine. Well, if you're not fine, don't say you're fine, right? Now, now maybe don't spill your entire deep, dark secrets during greeting time in the middle of the service, I get that, but don't make that the practice of your life to wear a mask and act like you're better than you actually are because you'll never get to that thing that you are trying to act like you are. So we can't lie to each other about where we actually are in our relationship with Jesus. This is why for the history of the church, we have emphasized confession. How is it going with you and Jesus? You know what? I haven't even wanted to read my Bible for six weeks, two months, six months. Now it's in the light. Now we can walk with Jesus in whatever that looks like and become what we actually already are in him. And so if we lie and say that we're better than we actually are, we don't grow. And so Jesus, our sanctifier from last week, has given us community and honesty in that community as a means by which he sanctifies us. So 
I asked you a question last week. I just want to just re-put it in front of you and ask you, how did you do? We, um, we, we said that one of the challenges from last week was to go to one person in the community of faith and just be honest with someone about where you actually are. And I wonder if any of you had the opportunity to do that. Uh, and if not, I want to just allow this to be the moment where the Holy Spirit prompts you maybe once again to do that. Because uh, the, these might be hard questions. They might make us feel uncomfortable. But they, these are, this is for our good. Sanctification is for our good. God wants us to grow. He wants more for us than we want for ourselves many times. Now, I want to make a transition and read to you from Hebrews 12, because part of what we're talking about in sanctification as it leads to healing is the discipline of God in our lives as part of the community of faith. Listen to this from Hebrews 12. This is starting in verse 7. For it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons and daughters. For what son or daughter is there whom their father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons and daughters. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. Parents, I just want you to hear that. As it seemed best, do the best you got, right? Parents are off the hook. I love that about the Bible because I'm in the trenches right now. They disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he, God, disciplines us for our good. That why? That we may share in his holiness. You see what God wants for you. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. That's sanctification. Therefore, lift your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed, which we want to talk about this week. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord, look, look again or listen again to verse 13. Make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Now, this is a reference back to Proverbs chapter 4. Let your eyes look directly forward. Your gaze be straight before you. Now, if you know your New Testament, that may sound a lot like set your minds on the things that are above. Right? It's telling you intentional walking with Jesus. Let your eyes look directly forward. Your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. So both of these passages are telling us the same things and are promising the same result. We keep our eyes on Jesus and we find healing and we find life. That, that's the message of those texts. I would say the whole entire scripture. So today we want to talk about that healing and where it comes from, Jesus, our healer. That's the, uh, the third, the pitcher there, pouring out oil, which historically has always been a symbol for healing in the church. Maybe you're from a tradition that does Ash Wednesday. I know that's just happened. We're in the season of Lent now. And the ashes from Ash Wednesday are oil mixed with the ashes from the palms the year before, symbolizing God's healing power by the oil coming into our earthliness. That's what those mean and so that's always been a symbol for us now i know for me healing is a subject that i know is true and i believe it and i've seen it happen in my own family and in my own life but i also have seen it misused and misunderstood and it can be weird right 
It can be weird in some parts of the church, the healing stuff that you see. So it seems like in Christianity, the only healing that maybe we ever hear about is the crazy stuff that you see on YouTube or on, uh, you know, online or on TV even. But biblical healing is a very real thing. And I want you to just hear me say this. We believe that God heals supernaturally right now. We are not what's called cessationists in this church. We don't think that the gifts of the Spirit ceased. We don't think that healing ceased. We don't think any of that stuff ceased, that God continues to use those things in our world. But we also think we can be reasonable about it because God has given us wisdom and minds as well. So if you lean more on the skeptical side of healing, then welcome to my club, right? And I want to invite you to open up your mind and open up your heart to the possibility and the legitimacy of what God might want to do in healing. But I also, for those of us for whom this is kind of a temptation to want to always see signs and wonders and what's God going to do next, I just want to throw this phrase out to you from our own church's history, our own tradition's history, the Alliance. Uh, and it's phrased like this, seek not, forbid not. And I think that's a good balanced approach. We don't go looking for healing and God to do a new thing all the time, but God does do those things and we don't forbid it when it happens. So, so here's what I want to do this morning. I want to talk about why Jesus healed and heals. I want to look at three ways that healing takes place and I want to just look at God's instructions on healing. So why Jesus healed. First and foremost, Jesus healed to show that he is God. So only God has the authority to forgive sins, right? Only God has that authority. And Jesus healed people. And at the same time, he would forgive their sins. In Luke chapter five, Jesus heals a lame man, but also tells him your sins are forgiven. The Jewish leaders got angry with Jesus when he did this because they believed rightly that only God could claim something like this. And, and they just didn't see that Jesus was claiming to be God. Listen to this account from Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 17. On one of those days as he was teaching, the Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, your sins are forgiven to you, forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question and grumble, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or rise and walk? But so that you know that the Son of Man, which is a reference Jesus gives for himself, so that you know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all and they glorified God and were filled with awe saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. So we see here an example of healing explicitly just to show that he is God. That's why Jesus healed there. Jesus wants to make sure that everyone sees he is God, that he is the Messiah who can be our savior and our sanctifier in our language. And so as a side note, 
This is one of the things that makes Christianity unique in the world religions. Some people like to say, well, Jesus was just a good teacher. But over and over and over again in the New Testament, Jesus proclaims himself to be God. He says, I am God. I am from above. Watch me do this miracle so that you know I have authority that only God has. And so if he isn't God, then he's saying crazy stuff in the New Testament, right? But Jesus proved that he's God over and over by healing people, ultimately by being raised from the dead, uh, which we'll celebrate in a number of weeks. Uh, and so just keep that in your mind, that that makes Christianity a unique, uh, a unique thing in the world of religions, although we don't think that Christianity is a religion in that sense. Now, there is no record of Jesus ever turning anyone away who asked for help. He never did that. Why? Part of why he healed was to show that he is compassionate towards our suffering. When you read the New Testament and you see that Jesus is compassionate towards the suffering of the people there, you should think to yourself, oh, this means Jesus feels the same way about me and my suffering. Jesus being God is a compassionate, loving God who hurts when we hurt, right? God cares deeply about the pain in your life right now. He's not unaware and he isn't uncaring. Many of us have this picture of Jesus and even God the Father that makes them seem distant and uninterested in our suffering as humans. We, we live as though we think God doesn't care, but he does care, right? Even if he isn't bringing the healing into your life in the exact way and at the exact moment that you wanted, that does not mean that he doesn't care. It might mean that there's something else for you in that. It might mean that he wants to teach you something in the pain. It might mean that I don't know the answer. But what I do know is that it in no way, shape, or form means that he doesn't care about you and that he doesn't care about your needs and your suffering. He cares deeply about you. Listen to these verses about the compassion of Jesus, our healer. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Matthew 14. Moved with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes, and immediately they regained their sight and followed him. That's Matthew 20. So Jesus felt and feels the emotion of compassion towards you and your needs. He's not distant. He's not disinterested. He is present with us now, and he is just as compassionate now as he was in the scriptures. He has not changed. And so this shows us that Jesus' saving of us starts now in this life, because it means that he is aware of us. And so we'll see this more in the types of healing. But healing isn't just something that we believe will happen when Jesus comes back. Uh, it, doesn't, it isn't something that only happens in the kingdom that's coming, in the eschaton, in, in, the, in, the, in the future that we have with him. But it means that his healing begins to happen now. So let's talk about three types of divine healing. Now, when you and I hear divine healing, we immediately think of like the signs and wonders type of healing, right? That's what I think of. Uh, and so we see that Jesus heals to show his divine power and his authority and to demonstrate for us that he's compassionate. But sometimes we only think of those miraculous signs and wonders types of healings, which are legitimate and happen. Uh, but I think we rob ourselves of worship and wonder when we don't recognize that there's other types of healing happening all the time around us. And so if we would see these for what they are, and I'm preaching to myself here, our eyes would be more fixed on Jesus. We might be growing more in our faith because we'd be going, man, Jesus is healing all over the place. 
and our witness to the outside world would be so much stronger. So let's, let's just dig into these. The first is healing by simple creation and sustaining of life. This is a tough one for us to understand, but again, if we fail to recognize that Jesus is healing, even through the natural order of things that he created, then what we rob ourselves of is an opportunity to worship and to deepen our relationship with him. Listen to Colossians 1, 15 and 16. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And so what we see is that it was Jesus who is at work to create in the creation. So I always want you to see how it is Jesus who is the power behind healing. So we know from Genesis 1 and 2 that the world was created good by God, but that sin has broken it, which is what led to us needing Jesus, our Savior. And even though sin has broken the world and made it a perverted version of what it should be, a lesser version of what it should be, we still see Jesus taking place, healing taking place in some really simple ways that many times we overlook. Like you're going to participate in some of this healing in just probably 20 minutes, 30, 40 minutes from now when you eat lunch. Like, think about food and the way that it heals your body, right? We don't think of it that way, but that's what it is. That's provision from God, Jesus, our healer, that he gives to everyone. What about just simple healing after, after an injury, right? Your body heals itself. That's wild. Medicine. Don't think that human wisdom isn't given to us by God and isn't the, one of the ways that God Heals. Now, this kind of healing is what would be in the category of common grace. This healing is for everybody. All people everywhere, even those who hate God and shake their fists at the heavens, can eat a meal and their body is healed by it. Can take some Tylenol when they have a headache and it works. It doesn't mean that everyone everywhere always does enjoy this kind of healing, but it means that they can. And so this is one of those areas in our culture where we've been very affected by the enlightenment and by modern or modernity and its way of thinking. We have very little ability as a culture to see the supernatural realm interacting with the natural realm. So this means that when it comes to this type of healing, we are very prone to write everything off as simply science or nature. But as Christians, what we believe about science and nature is that Jesus is the creator of everything and he is the author of every kind of scientific truth that can be perceived and that can be used by humanity. So as Christians, we are all about science and scientific innovation. Why? Because we believe that all we are doing is discovering more and more of how Jesus has set up this way of healing to take place. And for those of you who work in the science fields, I know there's a few of us in here who are medical or work in research and stuff. What you would probably say is that as we discover more, we realize how much more we don't know, right, about our world and how amazing it is. Acts 17 says this, since he himself, Jesus, gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Of course, we know, though, that this kind of healing doesn't always work in a broken world. Some injuries are too much for our medicine. Some people can't get to food and water. Tragedies happen. So another kind of healing is needed sometimes. And God, in his grace, does uh, allow Jesus to bring into the world the kind of healing that we 
think of that signs and wonders type of healing. You lay a hand on somebody and their injury goes away. Again, this is the kind of healing that I've experienced the least of. And if I'm honest, which I'm most skeptical of, and maybe you're with me in that boat, but that isn't to say that I have never seen it, right? Because we lean not on our own understanding. We don't lean on our skepticism as the marker of what's true and what's not. We lean on God's word, which tells us that he heals. And, and it isn't to say that I've never seen it. If you ever get to meet my sister, that's a story of God's miraculous healing. First and, foremost, first and most important thing to know, though, about this kind of healing is that you can't make it happen. There's no formula. You can't go and do the right things and say the right prayers because if you could, then we're just witches with incantations. Right? That's what that is. You can't make God do what you want. Having said that, there do seem to be things that are always present when healing happens, but that's not the same thing as there being some kind of formula for when we can make healing take place. So let me just give you two reasons why this kind of signs and wonders healings would take place. The primary reason why miracles would take place, specifically healing miracles, is just because God just decided to do it. And sometimes he's not going to tell us why. Psalm 115 says this, our God is in the heavens and he does what he pleases. And you just have to trust that. We struggle with this though, right? Because we like to know the why and the how and how come God and why didn't you do this and why did you do this and why did you allow this? Because we like to control things. But if we're honest, if we could just ask ourselves, how is it going for us when we control everything in our life? Not great. Because we're not good at it. And we can't control God. We simply have to trust that he is good. If you know the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, you know the famous line. Lucy asks Mr. Beaver if Aslan the Lion is safe. And Mr. Beaver says, oh no, he's not safe, but he's good. And that's what we have to trust in. We don't get to control Jesus in how and when he heals. He does as he pleases because he is God and we are not. Now having said that, here is a couple things that seem to be present when Jesus chooses to heal in this way. Sometimes in the New Testament, Jesus gave the power to heal to his followers. And I specifically want to say sometimes because it wasn't all the time. Matthew 10.1 says this, And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. So this means that he may do the same through us. So here's the question. Do you believe that Jesus will work that way through you from time to time? Do you believe that Jesus still works this way or do you allow our culture to more disciple you and dictate to you what can and can't happen, right? Sometimes, the second thing, sometimes the faith of the person asking for healing triggered the healing. We see this in the New Testament, Matthew 9. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, for she said to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, the same thing he said to the guys who lowered their friend down in the mat, take heart, your faith has made you well. So sometimes it was the faith of the person and instantly the woman was made well. So take it to your own personal prayer life and your prayers for healing. Do you ask for the healing that you or your loved ones need believing that Jesus actually can and will do it? Do you actually pray that way? This is a big struggle for me. I'm guessing it might be for you as well. Now, sometimes Jesus withheld the healing because of a lack of faith. 
Could you be not seeing the healing Jesus has for you because you don't believe that he can and will heal? Now, I want to make a side note here. Some of us are dealing with suffering in our lives, and we think if I am dealing with suffering, it is because my faith is weak or illegitimate somehow. And, I just, and, and this specifically seems to be the case when we think about mental illness. So I want you to hear me say this from this platform. If you deal with mental illness, it is not because you have weak faith or bad faith or you're not really a Christian, okay? I have seen that over and over and over in ministry and it's devastating to people who deal with those kind of issues to think that it's somehow their fault. It is not. In the same way that it wouldn't be a lack of faith or your fault if you got a cancer diagnosis. We would begin to treat it with the things that we have in the common grace that God has given us with medicine and doctors and wisdom. Wisdom and faith are not opposed. In your Bible, there is a huge chunk of the Bible that is called wisdom literature. God gave us wisdom to use, which I think translates, in this case, into things like medicine. So I just want you to hear me say that as clearly as I can say it, because I know it matters the way I say things from this spot right here on Sundays. Now, I want to talk about the next reason for miracles, which is so that people believe. Missions and healing and miracles are connected together, okay? Listen to these stories. These are from our Alliance family. The spiritual awakening in the Ivory Coast in 1973 and 78 witnessed thousands of healing, primarily among unbelievers. This resulted in the revitalization and the growth of the church, the CMA church, in that country. Before the awakening, there were 11,000 believers. Following the awakening, there were 35,000 believers. Today, there are over 250,000 believers uh, baptized into Alliance churches in that country. Fred Polding, the CMA missionary to the Ivory Coast at that time, said this. It was very simple. There were signs and wonders that authenticated the message. Another example is the awakening that took place on the island of Timor in Indonesia in the 1960s. There's a book called Like a Mighty Wind that you can read. Uh, every kind of miracle and healing recorded in the Bible took place among those people. Marion Allen, a CMA missionary to Timor, testified to the authenticity of this move of God, and it had the same effect as the Ivory Coast. And there's more stories like that all throughout, not just our history in the Alliance, but throughout the history of the church. So Jesus might decide to heal in a miraculous way in your life or in the life of someone who does not yet believe so that those who are around you who don't know him would come to know and trust him. Do you ask Jesus to do this? Right? Like, one of the easiest evangelistic things you can do is ask your unbelieving friends and neighbors how you can pray for them. I have yet to have somebody be offended and mad at me for asking them that. They might say, well, I don't believe in it, but you can pray if you want. And that's when I'm like, oh, all right, God, do something. It would be awesome, right? So do you pray like that? Do we believe and ask Jesus to heal so that others would see it and come to faith? Think of that motivation for your prayers. God wants that too. And so the first type of healing was just common grace of Jesus and things like food and medicine and nature. The second kind of healing is a miraculous type of healing that most of us tend to think of when we hear that word. And so there's a third kind of healing that we tend not to think about very much. And that's the kind of healing that happens when Jesus saves us. So we know from the last three weeks that our souls are broken and sick before Jesus pays the debt that we owe to God. And so this 
healing, this, this last kind of healing, is the kind of healing that takes place in our hearts and our souls when Jesus rescues us and takes us, as the scriptures say, from the domain of darkness into the domain of his kingdom. This healing comes as we learn to love the things of God more and more. 1 Peter 2 says this, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So for those of us who believe and trust in Jesus, by the wounds that Jesus bore on the cross that we will remember on Good Friday in just a few weeks, our souls are healed and brought back to life. And so he's healed us so that sin begins to look bad and he begins to look good. He heals us so that the sin in us, as we come alongside him and as we grow in our sanctification, that sin in us dies and the righteousness that he then gives to us begins to grow more and more in us. That's the healing that takes place upon salvation. Now, God's instructions on healing. So now turn to James 5. That was all intro. This is now the sermon. Just kidding. James 5. I'm going to start in verse 14. Is anyone among you suffering? Let them pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let them sing praise. And here's the, the one we want to look at for today. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. There's that community and honesty piece we talked about already. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So, Three things we can see for how we are to ask for healing from this passage. And again, against the backdrop of knowing you can't control what God does, you can just lean into his mercy and his grace. First, you have to ask. Ask him for healing. You have not because you ask not. In the asking, there is a display of faith. When you say to God, God, I need your healing, you are inherently saying, I cannot heal myself. And so am I missing out on healing because I'm too prideful to ask? Or maybe I just didn't even know I needed to ask, but now you know. The first part is that we need to ask. The second part, we need to be in a community of faith. So am I plugged into the community of faith there? Is there someone that you can confess your sins to? In this church that you're part of, am I trusting in, submitting to the community of faith and the leaders that are here, the elders uh, that, that are here? That's part of the picture. And then thirdly, this is the honesty piece again, confess your sins. Confess your sins. Be free. Am I missing out on healing because I'm living in secret sin? You are blocking your own ability to go to the Father and seek healing if you are walking in secret sin. That's just all there is to it. Some of us are walking in sin that we think, ah, maybe God doesn't care about it. I know I shouldn't be, but eh, I'm just going to keep doing it. And then we wonder why. Why do I keep struggling? What's going on in my life? There's a balance here between God's grace, and it's not about how you manipulate God, and also God will not be mocked. We reap what we sow. If you want to walk in that, 
the scriptures are clear. If you don't confess your sins, you are going to miss out on this healing life that Jesus has for you. So, with all of that, I just want to close with, I think, the attitude that we see for, this is a kind of an overarching attitude toward God, towards God's healing, and we get it from the book of Daniel. So this is Daniel chapter 3. If you don't know the story, maybe you're not as familiar with the Bible, there's these three guys in this story who are going to get thrown into a fiery furnace, and at the last second, um, this is what they say to the evil, God, evil king who's going to throw them into this fiery furnace to try and kill them. They say this, If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Now this is a principle for thinking about healing and God's power in our world. It's an amazing example for us as an attitude to have when it comes to healing. When we pray, this is how we pray. Jesus, I know you're able to do it. I believe that you will do it because you love me and you're good. But even if you don't, I will not bow to the idols of this world and I will worship you anyway. That's the attitude that I think we need to have as we look to Jesus to be our healer. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you for bringing us here today. Thank you for uh, your word that teaches us. Thank you for things like this in the Bible that just maybe make us a little uncomfortable and make us dig deeper. Would you continue to give us things that make us uncomfortable in our faith so that we would try to pursue you even more? Would you poke holes in our religious ideas that are so neat and tidy? Because you do things like just heal out of nowhere sometimes. Would you... Shower those of us with grace who are feeling like maybe it's because of me that I'm suffering or because of, and would you just remind us that we live in a Genesis 3 broken world which you haven't fully healed yet. And so Father, would you make us the kind of people who seek your, your life and who seek your face? Would you make us the kind of people who are not after the gift but after the giver? Father, we don't want to seek after miracles, we want you. And if miracles come with that, then even better. And so we, we, we ask that you would give us this attitude that we know that you will and we believe that you will, but even if you don't, we still worship you because you're good and you're worthy of it. And we ask all this in Jesus' name, amen.